Well, how's the crossing today? Everybody good? Good to see you today. Honored to be here. Good to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, thank you. Very kind. Yeah, I was here 10 years ago, as Shane said, and I did such an unbelievable job, you couldn't wait to have me back. And uh, it is so cool for me. Uh, this church, I remember it when it was only a dream and a prayer and nothing more. And to be able to drive onto this campus this morning and to see what God is doing and to see what he's doing in so many lives and to see what I know he's going to be doing in so many lives is just an unbelievably fulfilling uh, kind of a just great moment. It's life-giving to me to be, be with all of you today, and I thank you for that. Greetings from Anaheim, California, home of the Mighty Ducks, the Angels baseball team, Mickey Mouse, and the most expensive, I mean, happiest place on earth. And uh, when you come to Disneyland, come see us at Eastside. We're just about 15 minutes from there, and uh, we'd, we'd love to see you sometime over there. I know most of you, 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 like, who's this guy with the funny name and the funny voice, and does he really sound like that? Is that his real voice? I know you're wondering. And I told your audio team I'd give them 100 bucks if they could make me sound like Barry White today <laughs> and just kind of, Jesus loves you, baby. Something like that. But instead, when God was handing out voices, I got one that sounds like I've been inhaling helium for four days. So that's what you're stuck with today. Hey, uh, I want to say a word about your pastor, because I've known Shane for over 20 years now. And, uh, you know, I, I think very few people understand the pressures that the pastor of a megachurch carries, maybe other than me in the room. And uh, from day one of a pastor's ministry, we struggle with a lot of things secretly that you wouldn't think we would struggle with. But, you know, can God really use somebody like me with all my faults and all my weaknesses and my messy past, and can I lead, can I teach, can I, can I shepherd adequately, uh, will people follow? And then when a church starts to move forward a little bit, then you start to have questions like, is this really from God, or is my ego wrapped up in this, is this a pride thing, and you build buildings, and is this, are we too far out on the limb of faith, or is this kind of a foolishness kind of thing that we're going through? We struggle with that more than you realize. And then while you got all that going on, there's a marriage to build into, and there are kids to raise, and there's a staff to lead, and there are sermons to prepare, and there are weddings to conduct, and funerals to conduct, and, and there are uh, children leading an insurrection in the nursery, and there are naughty folks to straighten out, and there's all that uh, that's going on. And very few people, I think, really understand all the pressures. There are funds to raise and buildings to build and all the pressures of being a pastor. And I just want to say to Shane as a friend, uh, man, thank you for just for 15 years staying faithful. I'm sure you've wanted to give up at times and had some dark nights where you thought, is it all worth it? But you didn't bail. You didn't give up. You didn't cave in. You're still here. You're still standing. You're still married. You still love God. You still have energy for the kingdom. And just, I want to honor you today and say thanks for being such an unbelievable pastor. One of the great pastors in America right there. So let me ask you, do you remember your first broken heart? I was a freshman in high school. Her name was Lynette Cotts. I still haven't forgiven her. <laughs> We'd been in, it kind of been an item for a few weeks, the love bug bit during marching band practice. I played the drums. I marched a little higher, pounded a little louder when I saw Lynette. And uh, 
We, we'd been at Item for a few weeks when she was selected the freshman class attendant of the homecoming activities. And I thought, man, life doesn't get any better than this. Lynette Cotts, freshman class attendant, my main squeeze. And then she dumped me to go to the homecoming dance with the quarterback of the varsity football team. I was devastated. They call that puppy love. Let me tell you, it was real to this puppy right here. And, and we all know what puppy love eventually leads to, right? A dog's life. And, uh, well, that was my first broken heart. A broken heart is unreturned love. You risked, you were betrayed. You invested, and you were burned. You know what it's like. Max Lucado writes about walking through a cemetery one time, and he came across a grave of a woman named Grace Llewellyn Smith. And there was no date of birth listed. There was no date of death, just the names of her two husbands and this sad epitaph. Sleeps but rests not, loved but was loved not, tried to please but pleased not, died as she lived, alone. Just think about that phrase, loved but was loved not. Think about the long nights, the empty bed, the messages left, no return. Love given. No love that comes back in exchange. You know, after being in ministry for many years, one of the things that I've come to realize is that everybody's hurting. Everybody's wounded. For some, it's relationally. For some, it's emotionally, sexually, spiritually. And when you're going through a time of pain in your life, you really wonder, can God be greater than my hurt? Can God be greater than my pain? Is God big enough that he can heal this? For years, I've had a plaque in my office at home. It was made by an 81-year-old widow uh, here in Las Vegas for me a number of years ago when she took some dried leaves and some dried flowers and mounted them in a frame, and she wrote with her arthritic hand in calligraphy, God will make a way. And to be honest with you, I really wondered at that time in my life if God could make a way for me. My wife and I had been married about a year when we moved to Las Vegas. I became pastor of Central Christian Church. This was back in 19, when me. And we came with a lot of anticipation and excitement. I was 25 years old. I could barely shave. About four years into that adventure, we uh, built a rather large addition to our facilities, and uh, it was an exciting night, you know, uh, so you know what it's like when you move into a new building, people have sacrificed and prayed, and, and so we had a dedication, it was on a Wednesday night, and, and people celebrated and thanked God, I know there's things more important than buildings, but you know how God can use a building to touch a life, and, and uh, our chairman of our board, elder board, got up and said some very kind things about my leadership that night, and, and uh, what it had meant to the congregation. The congregation stood and gave a sustained standing ovation. And I'd like to say that it didn't give me a big head or anything, but that wouldn't be true. You know, I was just patting myself on the back and just kind of priding up a little bit. And I went home that night just thinking, we are going to sail into the next few years of ministry. And when I got home that night, I went from that high mountain to the lowest valley of my life when my wife informed me that she was in love and involved with another man. And that she was leaving in the morning. And the next day she did. 
And despite relentless attempts at reconciliation, she never came back. And she married the guy. And I thought I had lost everything. And I really wondered if God could make a way. I really wondered if God was greater than my hurt. But friends, 27 years later, I stand before you today as one who knows firsthand. We have a God who heals. We have a God who is greater than our pain. We have a God who heals broken, wounded, afflicted people like we all can be. Psalm 34, 18 is one of my favorite verses in scriptures. And it just says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The apostle Peter wrote of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he said, He himself bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And notice this quote, By his wounds you have been, what? Say it. Healed. Healed. In the Old Testament, God was sometimes referred to as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Now, I know most of you don't know me, but I'm at a stage in my life just personally right now and in my family that is so tremendously joyful and fulfilling. And I can stand here, you know, over two and a half decades after that season of brokenness, and I can tell you God is a healer. Four years later, God brought the most wonderful, beautiful, fantastic woman into my life. We met at Las Vegas Athletic Club. It was a very 90s kind of romance. And... uh, Barbara, and Barbara and I have had quite a ride. Uh, You know, when you're the pastor of a large church, when we got married, we had the dilemma of who do you invite to your wedding? You know, it's like you either invite nobody so you don't offend anybody, or you have to invite everybody so you don't offend anybody. And uh, it didn't feel right to invite nobody because this church had walked with me through such a valley, and it didn't feel right. You know, if we invited everybody, we were going to be the first wedding in history to have multiple services. And so... (laughs) We are like, what, what are we going to do? And so we decided, we had a large Wednesday night service in those days. We decided we would get married at the Wednesday night service. And whoever was there, you know, got to see it. We just wouldn't tell people they were coming to their wedding. And so we had our Wednesday night service, and we had the worship time. We had some baptisms that night. And then Mike Bro, a guy some of you guys know, one of my best friends, got up to preach. And Mike said, I know I'm supposed to teach right now, but instead I have two major announcements. He said, number one, Gene Apple and Barbara Callen are engaged. And everybody, oh, that's so wonderful. Our poor pastor's been so pitiful around here the last few years. We are so happy for him. And he said, the second major announcement is, you're at their wedding. They didn't clap. They kind of gasped. I think they thought Mike was joking. And then family members who'd flown in from all over the country, walked in from both sides of the front of the room, sat down in the front row, and we had a wedding at church that night. I told people the moral of the story is you never miss a midweek service. I had people saying to me, I can't believe it. That's the only one I've ever missed. I was like, yeah, right. Tell me another one, you know. (laughs) Well, Barbara and I have had uh, quite a ride. Shortly after we got married, I had the joy of adopting her 11-year-old son who was 11 then. We've had two daughters. In January, we celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary. And this is a picture of my family at our son's wedding just about a year and a half ago. That's Barbara. Can you believe how beautiful my wife is? Has God been good to me or what? And our daughters and daughter-in-law. And I want you to notice the shoes. That is the Chuck Taylor swag right there at the wedding, just living it up. So God has just been so good to me. And friends, at a personal level right now, things are so healthy and so good that sometimes it's easy to forget how rotten they were at one time. 
One of the things about God's grace, and some of you will know what I mean when I say this, sometimes God gives us a graceful sense of forgetfulness about how difficult the past really was. It's part of his healing work in our lives. God is just so merciful that way. Sometimes he just heals painful memories. So if I could today, what I'd like to do is to just tell you some of the things that I learned that I thought might be helpful to some of you who are going through a season of brokenness or hurt or pain, or maybe you've got a friend or family member who's going through something like that, something that you would share with them. And, and maybe some of you right now, you even wonder, can I ever reemerge again from this season that I'm in? Here's the first thing I learned. Don't pull out of life. Naturally, none of us want to be hurt. And so when we're hurt, what do we do? We withdraw. We go into a shell. We think, I put myself out there, I got hurt, I'm not going to let that happen again. Love by its very nature involves a risk, right? But what I've learned is not to love is even a greater risk than to risk to love. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but when my whole world fell apart, one of the startling realizations that I had to come to grips with was that for many years as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, as just a guy... I had lived as a solo sapien. You say, what do you mean by that? I knew a lot of people. I had lots of friends, lots of family, a lot of acquaintances. People say, oh yeah, I know Gene, we're buddies, we're tight. But the truth of the matter is there were very few people who knew Gene Apple intimately. In fact, there were zero. Because I just didn't let people get that close to me, really, on the inside. Kind of kept an emotional distance. A lot of you guys in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now because that's where you live or you've lived there in the past. And there was a period of time after all this, I went into isolation. I pulled away from relationships. And then I got this letter from a friend of mine that was a turning point in cracking me open to moving toward the possibility of some close community. And here's what he wrote. Uh, dear Gino, that's what a lot of my friends call me, said, uh, I cannot tell you how much I feel for you at this time, and I wish there were words to describe my sorrow. We are praying daily and thinking about you constantly. You are a dear friend and a constant source of Christian uplift in our lives. I realize at a time like this, time to be by yourself and the Lord is most important, but I don't want you to forget that my lines are open for you. I wish at a time like this I could just give you a hug, take over all the pain you're feeling in your heart. But since this is not possible, I would like to share the load with you. For a friend to share the load, this means to be there any time of day or night. I'm here for you, pal. I hope you will turn to me for anything you want. Our home is wide open for you. Our hearts are open for you. You are like a brother to me, and I love you. When you're good and ready, please contact me any time of day or night. It doesn't matter. We won't stop praying for you or thinking about you. Well, I took the risk, and I made contact. And I decided I wasn't going to withdraw anymore. I wasn't going to be a solo sapien anymore. Friends, I've made more than my share of bad decisions in my life. That was one of the best decisions that I've ever made right there. And I started meeting with that guy for breakfast every Thursday and three other guys. We met at a casino coffee shop. This was back in the days where we could get two eggs, hash browns, sausage or bacon, and coffee and toast for 99 cents. We were always fighting over the check. I'll buy today. No, I'll buy. Who cares? It's five bucks, you know? <laughs> so we were always fighting over the check. And uh, we started doing life together. And we started encouraging each other. Started opening up our lives to each other. And in that circle, I found 
unconditional acceptance, uncommon wisdom, and complete confidentiality. And I am forever grateful. And over the years since then, God has brought different people in different seasons of my life where today I have more close, deeper friendships than I've ever had in my life. It took brokenness to open me up to that. That's why small groups are so important in the life of a church. Don't kid yourself on this. Don't pull out of life. Here's the second thing that I learned. Disinfect the wound. Disinfect the wound. When we've been hurt, when we've been wounded by somebody, what's our natural instinctive response? Hurt back, right? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. And when you hold on to hurts, they develop into the self-destructive diseases of bitterness, resentment, and hatred. You say, Gene, how do you do that? How do you disinfect the wound? How do you get rid of bitterness? You practice forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, there's the word, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You forgive. When my first marriage fell apart, one of the issues that I really had to struggle with was my anger, my contempt, my bitterness for the other guy. He was a friend of mine. We played tennis together every week. He was a part of our church. What kind of friend, what kind of brother in faith moves in on another guy's wife? You know what I wanted to do to him? I wanted to take a baseball bat. I wanted to plant it right here in his front teeth. That's the kindest thing that I wanted to do. I'm afraid to tell you the other things that I wanted to do for fear that I might be arrested or something yet to this day. <laughs> Premeditated something or other. And so I was carrying all this toxicity around inside of me. This hurt, bitterness. And, and one morning in my quiet time, Probably a year later, uh, I'm reading from Proverbs 25. And it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, give him water to drink. And it was like the Holy Spirit just shot a dart right into my heart and said, Gene, you got to take some positive action toward your enemy. Because that's how I saw him. And I sat down that day and I wrote him a letter. And I forgave him. And in order to take some positive action like toward him, I sent him a book that had been personally meaningful in my life. And here's what I wrote on the inside jacket. It's my prayer that an authentic Christian faith will be the mark of your life and in return that it will mark others. And for the next couple of years, I prayed for him regularly. Honestly, just tell you, that was one of the most difficult things that I've ever done in my life. And before you think, well, that was so magnanimous, there's been a thousand times in my life I have not done the magnanimous thing. You say, Gene, did it bring any change in his life? Honestly, I don't know. But here's what I do know, is the amazing, wonderful change that it brought in my life. I don't have all that toxic stuff going around inside of me. 
I'm free of that poison that used to wrestle around inside of me. And friends, I just want to say, take it firsthand from someone who knows if you hold on to hurt, it will turn into hate and it will be so destructive to you. It will be destructive to future relationships. But if we'll learn to forgive, if we will love our enemies, God will fill us with peace and joy and freedom all over again. Do disinfect the wound. Here's the third lesson I learned. Allow God to work in you during this time. You know, brokenness is one of the greatest schools of higher education that any of us ever go to. We learn things in pain that we wouldn't learn in any other way. For instance, it was only through personal brokenness that I learned when you lose everything that's important to you, and I thought I'd lost everything. I was a pastor going through a divorce. When you lose everything that's important to you, but you still have Jesus Christ, you have enough. I learned that. I learned that I had an unhealthy work ethic in my life, and I needed to restore some balance. I learned the importance of truth-telling in relationships. I'm a bottler. Some of you, you're exploders. I'm a bottler. And I learned sometimes you got to let it out, and you got to talk about some dark things that you don't want to talk about. I think one of the greatest things that God taught me during that time was, was a sensitivity toward other people who are going through some tough stuff in their life. I'll never forget my uh, first Christmas alone again. We'd had our Christmas Eve services at Central, and my intent was I was going to go down the road to a little drive through grab something to eat, go home, do some laundry and pack, and on Christmas Day, early in the morning, I was catching a flight back to the Midwest to spend Christmas Day with 20 members of my family. So I got away from the church that night about 9.30, and I went down the road. There was a little farm basket drive through restaurant. I don't even know if they're, they're still around, but I went to a farm basket, but they were closed. So I went next door to, like, Del Taco, and, and it was closed. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do now? So I drove about another mile over to a jack-in-the-box. I was really getting desperate. And... Uh, <laughs> Jack in the box was closed. And so I thought, well, what am I going to do? I thought, oh, I'll go to my supermarket. My supermarket's open 24 hours a day. I'll go to the deli. I go to my supermarket. Supermarket is closed. I had never seen the city that never sleeps so quiet. And now I'm starting to get depressed. I'm having a little pity party for myself. You know, poor me. Here I am out on Christmas Eve all by myself. And all the families are having their little celebrations around the tree. And, you know, but I was determined to find something. And, and it was an unusually cold and windy night in Las Vegas. So finally, I drove out to the east edge of town to Sam's Town. And to my surprise, when I pulled into the parking lot, the place was hopping. And I walked into the casino, man, people were at the video poker machines and slot machines, table games. And I walked up to the second story. They had a 50-style diner, sat down at a table for four all by myself and ordered the blue plate special. And I remember thinking to myself, it was like a bad dream. I said, I can't believe it. I just spoke for thousands of people. And here I am at Samstown on Christmas Eve eating meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy alone. And just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, somebody put a quarter in the jukebox and Elvis started singing in my ear, Are you lonesome tonight? <laughs> Absolutely true. And uh, your love and sympathy is just so meaningful to me today. I just <laughs> feel it. Actually, I started laughing to myself, probably to keep from crying. And the thought that just overwhelmed me was, Gene, here you are, one of the most blessed guys in the world you got a church family that loves you and has stood with you through thick and thin. You have more close friends than should be legally allowed to have. You're flying home in the morning to spend Christmas Day with 20 members of your family. And if you of all people can be lonely tonight, imagine how difficult this night is for those who don't have anybody. And I'm telling you, as I walked out of the 
casino that night, it was like the Holy Spirit just sent a dart right into my heart. And here's what the message came to me was, they don't have anywhere else to go tonight either. Why else would all these people be here on Christmas Eve? It took brokenness to grow my heart. I hope it's made me into a different kind of pastor. God does work in us in ways through times of brokenness that he couldn't in any other way. Now, here's a final thing that I learned during this season. When you're going through a season of brokenness, allow God to work through you. I think some of us have the sense that when we're broken, God's going to kind of put us on the shelf and he can't use us during that time. But friends, oftentimes when we're weak, when we're crushed, when we're broken, that's when God can do some of his greatest work in us because it's just so clear to other people. That's not them doing that in their own strength, but that's just God working through them. I'm telling you, for the next couple of years, it took everything within me to be able to just stand up in environments like this and to have something to say or something to teach. And I had no strength in and of myself, and yet God used me in spite of my weaknesses. And I learned that if God is the one who energizes my spiritual gifts when I'm weak, that he really is the one who energizes my gifts when I'm self-deceived and I think I'm strong. I learned what the Apostle Paul meant when he talked about his own personal crisis that crushed him. When three times he pleaded with the Lord to take it away and God came back to him and said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in what? Say it. Weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, about comforting others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And I just made up my life. I am going to spend the rest of my life to anybody who will listen to me, extending to others the comfort that I have received from the God who heals. Because I know, friends, it is only by the amazing grace of God that I'm even standing here all these years later. So, I was thinking about this this week as I was coming to this message, and I was thinking, we're just a few weeks away from Easter. And every day you encounter people at the gym where you work out, in your neighborhood, school you attend, your family, colleagues at work, and they're hurting. And they need to know there is a God of hope that there is a God who heals, that there is a God who is greater than their pain. And I've been in ministry over 30 years now, and one, one of the things I can tell you is that I have talked to so many people who look back on their spiritual journey, and they'll say, you know when it started for me? It was an Easter service. I talked to a guy this morning. He's serving around here, and he says, last Easter, somebody invited me to the crossing. And, I, and so many people, I think people are more open spiritually at Easter season than almost any other time of the year, maybe other than Christmas. And so many people look back to an Easter season and say, yeah, that's the first time I walked into that place. Yeah, that's the first time God started to get my attention. Yeah, that's the day I came running back to God. Yeah, that's the day I found the grace of Jesus Christ in my life. Yeah, that's the day that I, that I opened myself up to the possibility that 
there may be hope. And I just want to say to you, allow God to work through you this Easter season because you are surrounded by thousands of people every day that need to know there is a God of hope. Be bold in your invitations. Change a life. Change a forever. Change a future. Change a family. Change a marriage. It all happens sometimes with just somebody having the courage to say, hey, would you just come and see and join me? It's 27 years ago, I found myself in a situation where I really wondered if God was greater than my hurt. There were moments where I felt there's no hope, moments of loneliness that were so intense. Does, could God ever use me again? Does God even want me? And then it was about that time that somebody gave me a worship tape, a cassette tape. Anybody old enough to remember cassette tapes? Somebody gave me a tape, and I must have listened. There was a song on there. I must have listened to it a thousand times. I listened to it. I mean, I think the tape started to stretch, you know, where it started to sound like, you know, it was just warbling. But there was a song on it, and the song said this. Some of you will remember this song. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. God will make a way. And that song kind of became my theme song. And anybody who knew me thought, yep, that's Gene's song. God will make a way. And so an 81-year-old widow with her arthritic hands makes a plaque that I have hanging in my home office to this day that says, God will make a way. That plaque wouldn't mean anything to you. It means everything to me. Over and over and over again in the Bible, God is described as a God who is great, a God who is greater than anything that we're facing. And before I close today, I want to read for you some of my favorite verses. I just kind of want to read them over you. And it talks about how God is greater than. And every time we find that phrase, I'm going to make, you know, the greater than symbol. I'm going to make the phrase greater than. And whenever I do this, I want you to just say it, okay? Just say those two words, greater than. So let's, let's practice that, okay? Here we go. That was pretty good, friends, but we're talking about the God of the universe who came to heal you, okay? Let's try it one more time. Okay, here we go. First John 3.20, for God is our hearts, and he knows everything. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. My father who has given them to me is all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Psalm 135, 5, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is all God's. 1 John 4, 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is the one who is in the world. Job 33, 12, for God is any human being. Isaiah 29, 16, how stupid can you be? Remember, I don't write them, I just read them. How stupid can you be? He is the potter and he is certainly you. You are only the jars he makes. Mark 1, 7, John the Baptist announces someone is coming soon who is far. I am so much greater than I'm not even worthy to be a slave. John 3.31, John the Baptist said of Jesus, He has come from above and is anyone else. I am of the earth and my understanding is limited to the things of this earth, but he has come from heaven. 
Last verse, Hebrews 1.4. This shows that God's son is far. The angels, just as the name God gave him, is far. Their names. Friends, when the Bible says God is greater than, how much greater is he? He is our circumstances. He is our past. He is our hurts. He is our circumstances. He is the angels. He is all other gods. Our God is simply. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for being a God who is greater than, a God who is close to the brokenhearted, a God who saves those who are crushed in spirit. God, for those who are in a season of pain and woundedness, brokenness right now, for whatever it is, may they sense your closeness today. May they sense your greatness. God, for those of us who withdrawn, help us to get out of our shell. For those of us who are carrying toxicity, help us to forgive in honor of the one who has forgiven us. Thank you for the work that you do in us that you couldn't do in any other way at times of brokenness. And God, I just have the sense you want to do a work through all of us that we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from you. We thank you that there is a bloodstained cross and there is an empty tomb that reminds us of how great and how powerful and how awesome you are. And with tremendous gratitude, we lift our prayers in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.